that concept of connectivity is what helped evolve technology from, again, folks that were historically focused on spending money on just their building and having them evolve it to, guess what? Now we're dealing with the experience of the guests in our building. Now we're dealing with the security of our building. And so by by taking multiple solutions and connecting them together, that is, I think, the biggest gift has, that MRI has given PropTech is this spirit of collaboration and connectivity. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Patrick Galani, CEO of MRI Software. Founded in 1971 and based in Solon, Ohio, MRI Software has been a leading provider of real estate software and has been a trailblazer in the prop tech industry for over five decades now, serving more than 2 million users worldwide, covering over 20 million units across 45,000 clients, with over 4.2 million leases in over 170 countries, providing solutions that transform the way communities live, work, and play. Pat has been with MRI Software since 2006 and has led the organization as CEO for over a decade now, previously holding positions as President, COO, and VP of Global Professional Services. With over 25 years of experience in the enterprise software world and over 10 years in commercial and multifamily real estate vertical prior, Pat and I discuss his path to MRI Software, his approach to leadership, his perspective on prop tech as an industry overall, the strategic decision to build out a connected platform and ecosystem, overcoming risk aversion, macro real estate trends, the future of MRI software, and so much more. For a company with such a rich history and strong presence here in Cleveland with thousands of employees, it was awesome to learn more about how MRI software has continued to innovate as a pioneer of the real estate software industry for many decades now, and Pat's reflections on the journey thus far and the vision for the future. So please enjoy my conversation with Pat Galani after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. Like I was mentioning just before we we hit record here, MRI software has such a, a strong presence in, in Cleveland, and it's a, a story that I've been excited to hear and learn about for, for a while now. So so thank you, Pat, for, for coming on and uh, sharing your story today. 
Absolutely a pleasure, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. So to, to kick us off, can you share a little bit about your personal story? You know, if, if you pull on the, the thread that ties your career and, and journey together, what in reflection have been the, the key themes, the, the key events that, that you feel are important to how you got to where you are today? Sure. It's interesting. I wish I could sit here and tell you that when I was a child, I wanted to be a leader of a real estate software company, but uh, <laughs> that that was not even uh, in the thought process at the times. In fact, I, I think I wanted to be a rock star. I was a drummer when I was a little kid and yeah, yeah. I played the drums really all through college. And and I always thought, wouldn't that be great? But uh, in a little thing like college and having to make money and growing up in a family where my father was actually a CEO of a very large power uh, transformer company. So I guess ultimately deep down, I, I knew that this this concept of the word business was something I wanted to do. Like like many kids that grew up in the you know 70s and 80s, I was one of the first generation that started playing video games and mm. um, you know handheld video games and so forth. So I was I was always from a child. I was a bit of a I guess you'd call it a geek. Now we didn't really use that word then. <laughs> But I, I loved the concept of, of technology doing really, really cool things. And although I went to school for, for business and supply chain management, I always loved the concept of, of doing something creative with technology. So my path here to uh, MRI software, you know, for me, it seems sensible. But for most, when I explain my path to CEO, they're like, that's really weird. I started right out of college in supply chain. And I was using Mm -hmm. inventory control systems and production scheduling. And I was literally working in a business doing a supply chain job. And I just loved being able to use the enterprise software system to do my job. And I got pretty darn good at it. And this was, you know, in the mid 90s. And that's when ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning Systems, became really, really popular. And, you know, companies like SAP and Oracle really began to, to grow and become, become forces. And I was out of the blue recruited to leave this manufacturing company where I was working in production control and go to Ernst & Young. And uh, at Ernst & Young, I learned how to implement large-scale software systems and got to travel all over the world and love people, right? And so on any given day, I was you know, training a uh, guy or gal down in the factory on how to use their computer, or I was you know, up in the ivory tower meeting the founder or the CEO of the company, both roles that I probably had no business being in as a, you know, early professional with with little experience, but really loved the concept of just helping people and getting in there and, and working with people, touching the clients. And, you know, so my career essentially evolved into using computer systems, managing people that implemented computer systems, and, you know, ultimately through working with some big companies, some small companies, I ended up at this company here in Cleveland, Ohio called MRI Software. And, you know, I didn't really know it then, but MRI had been around for 
over 40 years. We've been, we were founded in 1971 here in Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, the term real estate for me was the Caldwell banker sign out front of the house that said for sale, <laughs> right? That was the extent of it. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I could certainly go on and on, but, you know, I, I'm in real estate software, uh, not because I was a real estate expert, but because I was really a person that loved being out in the field, loved, I, I couldn't possibly do one role, one job with one problem all day, every day for 40 years. And so I think, you know, when I was doing consulting and then doing systems implementations, every day is literally a completely brand new day. And the good news with technology, as fun as it is, is there's lots of little problems along the way. So the firefighting, the iteration, the creativity, it just really wet my palate. And, uh, and here I am today. I've been with MRI since 2006. And I've been the MRI CEO since 2014. And I'm still having fun. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll absolutely circle back to, you know, real estate technology to talk about the, the nature of, you know, what it, what it is as an industry, the work you're actually doing Knowing though that that MRI software has been around, you know, roughly forty or years, you know, prior to your your presence at the company, can you take us a little bit back in time and you know, nineteen seventy one? Here, here we are. Sure. What, what's going on in the world? What What is the founding, you know, impetus for for this whole company look like? Why and how did it come to come to be? So, you know, the first question I always get from people is. Oh, hey, you. So you work for a healthcare company, you know, magnetic resonance imaging, <laughs> MRI, right? And and I'm like, no, MRI was Management Reports Incorporated, and in 1971, no one really did what we did. We were a company that was essentially founded by uh, a couple of brothers uh, in the Goodman family, uh, local Clevelanders, and they had family members and friends, you know, from their uh, local synagogue and that were struggling with their ownership of buildings, right? Some people owned commercial buildings, some people owned apartment buildings. And look, back then there was computers, you know, primarily mainframe computers and, 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 and big paper-driven, card-driven systems. And the financials were really hard to consolidate. So what they did is they, they literally had a white truck and you know, it was certainly no Cheech and Chong truck. They, they would drive around in this thing and they would pick up stacks of, of papers from people who owned real estate. And these papers would be leasing documents and billing statements and invoices. <laughs> and they'd collect all this paper and then they'd go back to the office and they would create the management reports for the company. So let's say you owned, you know, a small building and there was 10 apartments in it and you had all the files for your residents and you had to bill your residents and some paid this and some paid that and you had expenditures for mowing the lawn and, um, you know, you had your, your loan or your mortgage, if you will, for the building and putting all that stuff together. And so Management Reports, Inc. would manually gather all of this information, come back and create the financial reporting. Ultimately, they said, hey, look, this is a pretty manual business. <laughs> so they got these, these 
IBM uh, mainframe computers and they created programs that helped them automate the process. So we like to think we were one of the first managed services offerings in existence. And over time, those, those systems then became you know, personal computers, DOS systems, you know, remember the green screens with just the keyboard that would touch a a mainframe computer and then, then Windows and then ultimately the web and mobile. And so for 52 years, there's not a lot of companies out there that have the word software in their name that have been around for 52 years and still essentially do the same thing. Hmm. Now, the reality is we certainly do it in many different ways. Uh, We certainly do it a lot bigger and better and broader than we ever did back in 1971. But the idea of serving people who own, operate, or occupy large-scale real estate with automated solutions to make their lives easier, I mean, that's that's been our mission for 52 years. Hmm. When you think about, you know, that that history and ultimately the the legacy and brand that that you've in, inherited as as CEO of the organization, I, I think you just mentioned there. You know the parts of it that you feel are, are requisite and and that you want to pay homage to and upkeep over time. Where alternatively, if at all, have you shifted the vision and mission for you know what this company is going to focus on going forward? Sure. So look, initially it was the core financial systems, right? Management reporting. Over the years, we've evolved into the facilities management, right? The work orders to maintain the buildings. Uh, We, you know, evolved into presence management. Who's in the building? Where are they? How do you communicate with them? We moved into the investment side of it. So looking at the building, not just as an operating entity, but as an asset, Right. So you think about these, you know, large REITs, public REITs, you can invest in in real estate. Uh, REITs are real estate investment trusts. And when you invest in those companies, they're looking at real estate. It's it's almost like every building. It, it's like a stock. And so you need software to manage that stock, manage that asset. So we got involved in that all investment side. We moved out of just, not out of, but we expanded further from just the pure commercial office building and, and, and multifamily apartments to, you know, public housing, affordable housing, student housing, senior living. We do homeowners associations and condominium associations. And so really the definition of real estate went from an apartment building and an office building to pretty much any piece of brick and mortar where people live, work, and play. And how do we help them manage everything inside of it and, and outside of it. I always say, you know, we, we are bridging the gap between the hearts and minds of the people in a community and the bricks and mortar that make up the community. And so our software now touches that, that whole piece. So when, when people hear real estate, you know, in the spirit of those, those white trucks you, you mentioned, yes. with rooms full of paper stacks, you know, I, I do not imagine that innovation maybe is the first word that, that comes right. to mind. But at the same time, my sense is that prop tech, real estate technology has has kind of garnered a bit more, I don't know, institutional attention from both investors and from entrepreneurs over the last you know decade or so. Can you take us a bit through how you think about 
prop tech and the role of technology in real estate kind of writ large? Where is the industry today and, and what is MRI's software's role within it? Absolutely. So it's interesting, you know, I'm glad you used the word prop tech. Um, I've been here for coming on 18 years and probably for the first nine of them, the word prop tech wasn't even a word. And, and the reason is, you know, oddly enough, the real estate industry has has been a relative laggard in technology compared to other industries. And the reason is, look, it, it's it's a good old boys and girls industry, right? If you look, you, you know, you go back 100 years, some of the, the wealthiest people on the planet were those folks that owned and built the real estate. And it was a small club. And that club was a pretty small circle that was not necessarily the most technology forward as it related to the systems that they used to run their business. They put their money in architecture, in the materials of the building. These were purists that looked at the the bricks and the blocks and the mortar as that that's what made the difference, right? And so you then had when technology was really beginning to boom, you had a rather how do I say this uh, politically correct? A more <laughs> a, a more mature ownership group of an industry segment that wasn't as creatively aligned with technology as an enabler. So oh, they they quite politically correct. Right, right. So <laughs> they they were they were less wanting to adopt it. Now, like anything in business, um, business happens, and at some point, you grow to the point where there's there's just no way around it. You 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 can't operate in 2023 or even 2013 or 2003 without some reasonable digital communication, digital computation, and so forth. So what's MRI's place in the game? We like to think of ourselves as the founder of, 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 of the space. Uh, we're not aware of, of anyone that was doing what we were doing before us. And so, therefore, it's a fact. <laughs> um, I'm teasing. Um, but we, we believe that, you know, we were one of the, the forefathers of what is now PropTech and that we have been um, one of the, the main players on the planet that has seen its appropriate evolution. Now, MRI specifically, and one of the things that, you know, I'm really about, proud about our, our team now and my time with the company is that we really focused on this concept of we cannot possibly be everything to everyone, right? And that, you know, to do something truly special in most industries or in most things, you need some collaboration and combination of many things. So we've we've really focused on this concept of being a platform company. And mm -hmm. again, we believe we were one of the first people to adopt the concepts of 
a platform solution versus just an application. And we were also one of the first that adopted this concept of today. We call it cloud. It was once, you know, primarily used as SaaS and then it was application service provider before that. And before that, it was just hosting. And before that, it was just we came around in a truck and picked it up and we magically showed up the next day with the report. But either way, it was done somewhere else. Right. And so that evolution of how do you have people in technology do something for you, have it happen for you without you being involved, whether it's in the cloud or in the room next door. And then how do you have a solution that says, guess what? We are going to talk with other products. We are going to, when you walk into, I was just in Boston last week, you walk into, you know, the Prudential Center. In, in downtown Boston and you mm-hmm. check into that building and you're using an, an MRI system to verify that you're supposed to be there and you get a badge and guess what? Your badge works the turnstile and the elevator and all that communication between those systems. We certainly don't make elevators. We don't make elevator control systems. We don't make turnstile control systems, but that concept of connectivity is what helped evolve technology from, again, folks that were historically focused on spending money on just their building and having them evolve it to, guess what? Now we're dealing with the experience of the guests in our building. Now we're dealing with the security of our building. And so by by taking multiple solutions and connecting them together, that is, I think, the biggest gift has, that MRI has given PropTech is this spirit of collaboration and connectivity. I have two follow-up questions to that kind of framing specifically. One, the tactics of of how it is that you get all these, you know, historically maybe even competitive organizations to want to play nicely in the sandbox and, you know, open you know, open up their own systems to integrate and and create this extensible uh, a platform for everyone. So we'll get there. But more from the the strategic lens first. I feel like changing behavior generally is just like one of the most difficult things you, you can do. So, so how is it that you think about how to overcome a heritage culture and this very risk-averse mindset that, that of, of the, the owners and operators in this space who might you know, adversely react to these innovative attempts that, that might ultimately mean they, they actually need to change behavior? Sure. Look, two things. First and foremost, any business person on the planet, when you start talking about the pocketbook, you have their ear. And so, you know, doing value-driven solutions that aren't just, you know, fun to have, nice to have things, but that can actually save you money, that can actually get more productivity out of your team, that can actually make the building be less vacant, that can make the building have more amenities for the tenants and the residents. Those things really resonate with somebody that owns and operates real estate. And and especially when the dollars and cents start to to demonstrate a return to them. So I'd say first and foremost, um, it's, it's pure dollar savings in the value of technology. And then and number, number two, which I alluded to a little bit earlier, is, you know, the ability to serve 
your clients, right? And so when you're in real estate, your clients are your residents, your tenants, your occupants, whatever you want to call them. And so as the world began to demand more, these buildings, and I'll, I'll use that term loosely, needed to evolve in order to encourage people to want to be in them, right? So what was a class A building 30 years ago is not a class A building today, right? And so, you know, think about it. Would you, know, would you go to a library today that, that just had books and no internet and no big tables to study on and no Starbucks coffee and, you know, no area where you could use your cell phone? You, you probably wouldn't even go to that place anymore. And so I think the evolution of the consumer demanding more services and amenities actually drove what was traditionally a classic ownership group into doing what they need to do. And guess what? It's because of money, right? It's, it, 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 it all boils down to supply and demand. You, you've got to cater to the people you're trying to cater to. Lay of the Land is brought to you by John Carroll University's Bowler College of Business, widely recognized as one of the top business schools in the region. As we've heard time and time again from entrepreneurs here on Lay of the Land, many of whom are proud alumni of John Carroll University, success in this ever-changing world of business requires a dynamic and innovative mindset, deep understanding of emerging technologies and systems, strong ethics, leadership prowess, acute business acumen, all qualities nurtured through the Bowler College of Business. With four different MBA programs of study, spanning professional, online, hybrid, and one-year flexible, the Bowler College of Business provides flexible timelines and various class structures for each MBA track, including online, in-person, hybrid, and asynchronous, all to offer the most effective options for you, including the ability to participate in an elective international study tour, providing unparalleled opportunities to expand your global business knowledge by networking with local companies overseas and experiencing a new culture. The career impact of a Bowler MBA is formative and will help prepare you for this future of business and get more out of your career. To learn more about John Carroll University's Bowler MBA programs, please go to business.jcu.edu. The Bowler College of Business is fully accredited by AACSB International, the highest accreditation a college of business can have. I'm with you. I, I see it. You know, the this consortium of embedded applications all tied together into a singular integrated experience where MRI is powering this whole connected ecosystem is kind of like the the package. How how do you actually go about like creating this extensible real estate platform? <laughs> You know, it's, that, isn't that the billion-dollar question, right? <laughs> so how do you connect all these things? Look, for years, you, you, you heard technology companies saying, we have a seamless integration, or it's plug-and-play. Plug yeah, you yeah. just turn it on. And even in 2023, that in many things, that still seems a bit of a pipe dream, but it's always what people wanted. No one ever wanted to learn. Uh, I shouldn't say no one. There's plenty of people that, that love and enjoy programming and so forth. But the average user of technology doesn't want to have to program, doesn't want to have to read a huge manual. They want to just turn it on. You know, why do our smart, smartphones 
make us so happy because everything, a lot of the things we want are right in it. You just turn it on. There's no book to read. And if you need another product, you can just search for it, download it, and it works. Even if it's not from Google or Apple, it works with them. But see, enterprise software, that's evaded enterprise software. The consumer market got much better at it. Oh, wait a minute. You mean I can take a cassette tape and put it in somebody else's player and it plays? Or I can take a digital file and play it on your computer? The consumer market was really fast to adapt that sharing. Businesses, to your point, were slower because, well, that's proprietary and I'm afraid of my data and I'm afraid of these things. So how do you do it? In the reality, it's, it's, it's very similar technologies that you see on the consumer side, but at a much larger scale. Today, we take two products. Um, we take those two products, and if we own both products, but they're separate, we connect them to a unified platform. That platform has a sign-on and authentication capability. That platform has a user interface and user experience framework so that the colors and the navigation can be similar. The data might be in different databases. The functionality may be different in each one. Um, how do they communicate? We have application protocol interfaces, right? That's APIs that communicate back and forth between the products. And then the thing that really makes the word connectivity real isn't that they look the same or that they, you know, you can sign into them with the same log on. What really becomes powerful is when you don't know you're using two different applications or you don't know you're using three or four different applications. And so that's the, what we call the, the, I call it unification, right? Um, <laughs> where, you know, it's, it's the, the unification of data and not just big data, but smart data, what you need, where you need it, in the format and place you need it, shared with other information. It's not useful to someone who owns a building to just know that, you know, Jeffrey Stern is in apartment 3A. They need to know that Jeffrey Stern's in apartment 3A, but also in the financial systems, Jeffrey owes us $3,000 because he's behind in his rent. And also in the verification system that they did with Jeffrey that when they did the credit check, you know, they probably shouldn't have given him the apartment in the first place. Uh, and, and, and so to, to, to look at all of that combined information on one screen so that the user can not just absorb it, but make decisions on it, that's powerful. And, and that's what we're doing. And then you look at the evolution now. So now you think about artificial intelligence. You think about robotic process automation. You think about, you know, what started in just a world where you just wanted a whole bunch of data, big data, and then you wanted just the right data, smart data. Then you wanted to just search and filter for what you wanted on a dashboard. Now we as consumers, we don't even want to search. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't tell me that in the morning I have to look to see if Mr. Stern has paid his bill. Warn me if he paid it or he didn't pay it. Or go a step further, 
if Mr. Stern is evicted, you could automatically shut off his door with Internet of Things. So it's this amazing connected world. And it's look, it's not easy. It's, it, it is still to somewhat a utopian goal to think you can get multiple computer systems of different technologies, different code bases, different databases, different integration methodologies, and get them to talk perfectly to each other. It would be like you and someone from Germany that can't speak the same language trying to talk to each other perfectly. How would you do it? It's, right. it's not easy. Well, one of the, the strategic levers that I believe you get to pull and, and think very intentionally about as an acquisitory company when you think about this unification is, uh, is acquisition. And, you know, actually assuming ownership and, and uh, you know, to, to the, the, the playing nice in the, in the sandbox analogy, like, you know, a, a bit of parental force. Yes, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And and look, you know, there's there's a bit of a method to our madness. In addition to the fact that, look, first and foremost, our clients, our amazing clients, are the ones that demanded to have very unique, personalized systems, but they also want them to be easy, standardized, less costly, scalable. And th that's like asking for high quality and cheap. It's hard to do, right? It's, it's, it's very hard to do. So the driver was the need and desire in the market. To connect those things then allowed us to be an acquisitive business. And so, you know, over the last 14, over the last 13 years or so, we've acquired almost 50 different entities. But we are not a house of brands. We are a branded house. And we don't, we don't look at the different applications as standalone exhibits. We look at them as members of, you know, I, I'm a man of many stupid analogies, but I always say it's, <laughs> it's, like, a, it's like a zoo, right? You, you go into a zoo and the zoo has a look and feel and the zoo has a feel and it has a, an attitude and, a, and, and, and the, the whole quality and culture of the zoo is one thing, but every exhibit can be a little bit unique but there's similarities in each exhibit that allow it to be on one perfect map to give you a beautiful experience and end in an ice cream cone and a balloon at the end of the day. And, and that's essentially what has been our growth paradigm is to bring in, you know, technologies uh, that we acquire, technologies that we build, and then a massive network, hundreds of companies of, of, technologies that we partner with and, and essentially put your arms around them and say, listen, whether we're friends, whether we're enemies or whether we're frenemies, we are going to find a way to have this community talk together. And, and that has literally been the, the claim to fame of our growth over the last decade and why a company that is 50 plus years old is having some of its greatest growth right now. It's, it's very rare, right? You know, behind me, you, know, you can see some of these Fortune, Inc. 5000 things and so forth. Very rare to find a company of, of this tenure that finds growth 
in these stages of its life cycle. And the reason is we don't stay stagnant, right? It is, if, if we were still doing what we were doing in 1971, we would have been out of business in 1978, right? It's just a fact. And so the adaption and adoption of new things is constant. And that's what, you know, we have 3,500 pride members and uh, you can see the lion behind me and uh, <laughs> you and I can see each other, but um, we, we use the lion as our moniker because we, we believe we're the leader of the jungle in the prop tech. And so we, our associates are pride members. We're all pride members. And we believe we have uh, an ecosystem that we have a role in and we're not the biggest and we're not the fastest and we're not the greatest animal in the jungle, but we have a role in it. And, and, and that's, what's made us who we are. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask about, you know, how you avoid resting on your laurels of the growth of, of the company and the success that you've already had. But I, I feel like you've kind of captured the, <laughs> the essence of that already. So yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's interesting, <laughs> Jeffrey, you know, I, I always tell um, my teammates that I'm, I'm a bit of a dreamer, but I feel like I'm paid to be the dreamer and that that helps us aspire to believe that our best days are still ahead of us. Right. And so, again, using you can see the lions behind me, you might be able to also see the, the space helmet. I, I always talk about this mission to Mars. Interesting today that India landed on uh, the other side of the moon or the southern south pole of the moon. That, that's that's kind of cool. But I love this concept back to when I was growing up, this concept of how do you do like things that you almost thought were impossible? And, and y- to some extent, you, you have to almost declare the unreasonable to do something exceptional. And so that's why I I talk about space travel. I always tell my team, I said, look, in our life, we've never seen humankind on the moon, on the, on Mars, but we, most of us believe that that's going to happen. It's never been done before. We've never seen it, but we have enough visual attributes of things that we believe it's possible. And that's what we're trying to do with this connected ecosystem of technology and prop tech. Yeah. To, to borrow your, your space analogy, you know, one of the things that I know is pretty part and parcel to, to these space missions and, and, you know, just the one that's top of mind for me is, is James Webb. But, you know, like in those, in those undertakings, there's like hundreds of points singularly of failure. And so the, the, the way I'll ask this question, you know, if, if, if MRI software doesn't ultimately achieve the vision that you have in the future, you know, the, this connected singular experience, what, what do you feel like are those singular points of failure? What are, what are the biggest risks and challenges that, that you face as a business? Honestly, and I will say this, whether we were a platform-centric business or just one little product, at the end of the day, my entire lifeline for this business is based on real humans with hearts and minds valuing what they do for them, what we do for them. And the biggest risk to our business is that we don't listen and understand what our clients need and want. I also think I have a role to show them things that they maybe don't know that they want yet, but that's just a small piece of it. Listening and understanding, we are servants of an industry. 
We are servants of other people's businesses. We will only ever be as good as how much we improve others. And so the biggest risk is that that doesn't occur. And so if we don't get to Mars in this perfect uh, analogy that, that we're talking about, if along the way we're still improving people's lives, being able to thrive in the community, being able to take businesses that create jobs, and, and you know, we've, we've expanded the way we look at our own business. Um, so much of our business now is in supporting social housing and public housing solutions that help people qualify to get into rent-controlled apartments. We actually make the software that helps do the qualification process for, for HUD. And, you know, we're doing things that are hugely important for where people live, right? Where they put their head down on the pillow at night and that they're strong enough to get in the morning and, and have a job somewhere. And, you know, at the end of the day, we make software. But we do believe fundamentally that we are touching people's lives and that community is is only as good as the collaboration amongst it. And whether it's bricks and mortars or bits and bytes or hearts and minds, you know, our job is to find a way to solve for that. I know I used, I, I, maybe you read, I, I use this analogy quite a bit. I read a book once from Bill Gates and he said something like, you know, the mission you give your business is so important to its future. And, you know, if companies like Union Pacific 50 years ago would have decided that they were in the transportation business versus the steel rails business, we'd be flying Air Union Pacific, right? And so I I look at MRI a little bit like that because I can't honestly tell you 10 years from now what technologies we're using, but I can tell you that we're going to be helping people do what their problems are in real estate. I just don't know what they are yet. Right. I mean, to your, to your point earlier, what, and not even on the problem side, but even just people's preferences, what used to be class A is no longer class A. In the spirit of, of just somewhat being tethered to the uncontrollable macro real estate environment writ large, I did want to ask, Although I try and avoid like timely questions in, in <laughs> favor of more evergreen stuff. But, you know, obviously there's a bit of an ominous state to commercial sure. at the moment where, you know, obviously markets like Manhattan and, and Silicon Valley experiencing record high vacancy. And, but, but true here in, in the middle market as well in Cleveland, Akron, uh, there, there's a, a relative dearth of folks returning to the office. Sure. Um, well, after lockdowns have, have ended. And uh, I think a real challenge of finding new tenants as old leases expire, sure. all compounded by this financial environment of <laughs> tightened credit and elevated rates. And it, I don't know that it paints the most particularly optimistic picture. No, fair um, enough. And I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up, right? Because, you know, even my wife says, hey, Pat, what's going to happen, right? With, you know, she reads the Wall Street Journal every day. And, you know, every day there's some article on how real estate is, is in a very, a very risky situation right now. So look, the fact is, um, there's a couple things going for real estate. Number one, there is no 10-year period that, this is my understanding, right? This is not a fact. Um, my, my understanding, and I've heard it so much that, again, 
I believe that it's pretty close to fact. There is rarely a 10-year period in the history of the world since real estate existed that real estate didn't find a way to have growth. And the reason is that no matter what, these these souls that live in communities and live, work, and play in communities, they have to be somewhere, right? And so the fact is, is it, it may not be oxygen or soil or sun, but these are major ingredients to literally the, the stages of life, having these bricks and mortars on the planet. And the adaptation of real estate to mixed use, for instance, when's the last time you saw a building that was just one thing, right? You look at, you know, we do business all over the world. You look at some of these big, beautiful towers in London. I'm looking at some pictures over me here. Yeah. Um, and the top of it might be the 10 floors is a hotel. The middle 50 floors is office. There's a huge eight-story mall. And there's, you know, four levels of world-class apartments and condominiums all in one building. Right there, you have a diversified portfolio. You have industrial real estate where once were warehouses of products for one company. Now they're warehouses of products for distribution companies like Amazon. What about malls? What about, you know, the death of the mall? Malls are becoming repurposed community centers. They're being repurposed for healthcare. They're being repurposed for industrial storage for companies, again, like Amazon. So there's definitely the find a way mentality. Then the other thing that um, is still going well for real estate is that what you see in people, occupancy, is not often the state of the financial state of the building. So again, you could, if you look in New York City, you could say, geez, there's less people working in that building Monday through Friday. That's a fact, right? Hybrid working, da-da-da. But most of those tenants in those buildings are medium to large size organizations that still pay for that space. And so the health of the real estate as an asset is actually stronger than the human the the visibility yeah. of humans in it. So there, we like to say there's a there's an occupancy health, and then there's a financial health. What will the future be? Look, I think we're already seeing in a short time the concept of living in a 100% remote world is likely not going to happen. Right? I say likely. I hope I'm not on some blog ten years from now. <laughs> Uh, you know, with my 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 sound being uh, said, but and again, it goes back to no matter how well we collaborate online, no matter how well we can do business remotely, and we make lots of products that help businesses work well remotely. There is a human collaboration and a creativeness and an adapt and adoptability of humans working together that I think is very, very, very far away from being gone. Now, is that a wish? Maybe so. But uh, <laughs> look, we're, we're, we're finding ways through it. The good news is the residential arena, multifamily, student housing, public housing, affordable housing, those markets have, have been literally stronger than ever in history. Now, yeah. why is that? 
people are staying, people are living all over the world now more than just in central cities. People are able to stay in their home and work across the, the country. People are wanting to do more in their homes. And, and so the residential arena is very, very solid. So the, the mixed usage is not only helping uh, the economy, but it, it also helps MRI software, right? We are, we are diversified in the clients we serve. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a space for, for some, some pardon words and any, you know, thing that you think is important to share about MRI or your story that we haven't yet. And, uh, with that, our, our traditional closing question as well, which is for a, a hidden gem in, in Cleveland. Sure. Look, the, the, the departing words I'll say on MRI software, 52 years and we're just getting started. I, I like to say, you know, we are as agile and creative and exciting as a startup, but I got 45,000 clients and a footprint around the world to show for it, which why you know we we think that the world is our oyster, and um, I say the world and not just um, you know like I said I I use Mars I say the universe is our oyster <laughs> um, because I believe where humans go uh, will be where MRI software will find its way. Now, most important, what is a gem <laughs> in Cleveland? So look, Cleveland is a, is a fabulous town and it's a town that, um, you know, I, I was not born and raised in Cleveland, but this is a great place to not only raise a family, but to live and thrive in, in, in many ways. For me, when I think of Cleveland, it's great places to eat. I, I, I could list off a million things. There, there is one specific place that I've been going to just north of Solon here. It's called Crew Uncorked. And it, and it is really, really exceptional. And why I think it's exceptional is, you know, it's, you get the, you know, the Hamptons ambiance and luxury, but you're right in the, the warm, comfortable confines of, of, of the eastern suburbs of Cleveland. And so yeah. I, I really enjoy that. But I, there, there's so many restaurants in this, in this town that I enjoy. And I got to tell you, I, you know, some of my non-Cleveland uh, friends, when I tell them Cleveland's becoming a foodie town, it really has. That's, that's why I can't uh, keep the weight off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Pat, I, I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time and uh, coming on to, to share your story. It's my pleasure, Jeffrey. I enjoyed this and I, I love your podcast and I listened to some of the previous folks and um, some of them even, uh, you know, you've, you've talked to technology companies and love the Cleveland connection and we're here to stay. Cleveland is our home. Cleveland's where we started and it all comes back to Cleveland. So it's, it seems to, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right, my friend. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. 
Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 